Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Tom, what's up, bud? So, uh, you know, unfortunately this morning we got some uh, some really sad news and that's that our, our friend Curtis the Stash Lawrence um, passed away at his home in South Carolina. Yeah, dude. I mean, I... I'm sure that everybody who knew him is shook because we're shook and the impact that he's had on this industry and everybody who, I mean, he had contact with. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, Curtis wasn't the guy, I mean, well, just a little bit of of framing here. You know, we met Curtis because he was handling um, Robin Lane from rules. I can't think of a worse job than trying to manage Robin Lane. But I couldn't Um, imagine a better person to do it. So that's the, exactly, exactly. So that, that's Curtis. So, you know, Curtis was never the spotlight guy, right? He was, he was the guy that was always behind the stage. He didn't seek the spotlight. He didn't want the spotlight, but one of the kindest, sweetest guys, um, you know, you, you'll ever want to know. Yeah. And, and one of the smartest and tech savvy guys that you want to know. I mean, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he threw a lot of stuff our way that, you know, we had no clue of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, uh, it was funny because he wanted to give so much that he went out of his way for giving. Like you didn't even have to ask for anything because you know, nothing made Curtis happier than calling and telling me about a new cool Instagram trick that he learned or, you know, some kind of like tech thing that, 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 that he did. Um, you know, he worked for the rules company. So he was actually behind the scenes once again, managing all their, um, all their, all their, all their online content. So. Yeah. If we had to pick a guy that, we had to pick one person that was everything that this podcast was about. It would be Curtis. I mean, talking about someone who uh, is totally open arms that just want to give, not trying to try to receive more than he's given. I mean, he, he, that's all, everything outflows from him. And he, uh, I mean, he's such a beautiful human being, bro. Yeah, he was beautiful. So, um, I think the best quote that I heard about him today was um, was from uh, Carrie Fonte, and um, Carrie is uh, I don't know what her actual job is. I mean, what her title is, but she's like a management person at Rusal. And in her post, she said that he was a giant amongst men, and and you know he he stood all of five foot five, but you know he was that giant amongst men. And it wasn't that he ever looked down on anybody, but he was always the guy that delivered. You know, he delivered with his heart. He delivered with with everything, and and just resourceful, and just a just a super guy to know and I, I certainly know that that once we get back to shows that the industry that where which is where he shined you know the the industry is really really going to miss him oh dude I, yeah Any, anybody who knows him will miss him and and giant among men is the perfect perfect quote for him i mean he had a giant heart right a, a giant he did what he didn't have a giant of it was an ego because he definitely uh he put everybody else before himself and yeah, dude, it's just not going to be the same, man. I've seen his, uh, his his crazy bald head and big old mustache. <laughs> I know it, it is kind of crazy. Um, you know, he was he was kind of uh, he was a quiet dude, but you know, we were able to talk to him on the podcast, and actually, we're getting ready to release 
release that podcast right now. So, so if you don't know, you can get to know him a little bit better. But you know, he never really wanted to talk about himself, and, and we had to kind of pull things out. But you know, also, every time you talk to him, like layers of this onion kept opening, and he became more – the more you knew him, the more depth the guy had. Like the more you knew him, the more stories there were to share. Yeah. And like you said, you know, he was a quiet dude, but something about him wasn't quiet. He was, you definitely would recognize him. You definitely saw him, even though he's sitting in a corner quiet, he definitely was, uh, you know, a spotlight. Yeah. 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 He's awesome. Um, we're going to miss the dude, um, dearly. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad because, uh, you know, we were definitely supposed to get, um, podcast two with him, um, this year. I mean, I think COVID kind of slowed us down a little bit there, um, but, you know, um, you, you'll see our post about it. He, he brought many, many, many. He brought every single barber that we had on the podcast he brought to us. You know, so, so that should say something. He was so respected in the barber world. Yeah. So hopefully uh, you get to know him as, as well as we got to get, get to know him through this podcast. And, uh, you know, Curtis, love you, brother. I'm going to miss you. Love you, Curtis. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's going on, homie? What's up, buddy? Dude, man, we got a, a pretty cool podcast today, man. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, but first, before we get into that, we have a couple people we have to thank, of course. We yes. uh, have to thank uh, Premier Philly for uh, for bringing us up and gave us a classroom this morning. That was our a- first go at it, so that was pretty awesome. Absolutely. And uh, Salon Centric by uh, allowing us to use the VIP room. VIPs. Yep. This weekend to uh, do the rest of our podcast. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. Salon centric and, you know, that whole sales team and all those people there. So uh, yeah. thanks for having us up and thanks for bringing us in. But our guest today, we've uh, we, we met him last June, I guess. Right. June yeah. of 2018. Yeah. Over a year ago. Over a year ago. And then we actually met him at a premiere event. That was premiere Orlando 2018. Um, and uh Funny, he was kind of um, when we did the podcast with uh, with Rob and Lane, the Rusel, the Rusel boys. Yep. Uh, he was kind of their handler. He was like kind of you know bringing them through the crowd. And <laughs> if you know how Rob goes through a crowd, Rob and Lane go through a crowd. They need handlers because right. they don't get anywhere by themselves. You know? So so Curtis was a uh, oh, damn. I did it, didn't I? Yeah. So, so that's our right, guest today is Curtis Lawrence, but um. Curtis got a really interesting story. Um, he's a barber, and uh, and I I, I kind of just can't wait to get in. Dude, one of the the nicest human beings. I mean, let's uh, not push it. Dude, I mean, he's been nothing but just just. I mean, he, man, awesome, well, awesome. Well, here here here's here's what Curtis means to our podcast is that at the beginning of 2019, we made it a conscious effort to bring on more barbers, and and Curtis has definitely been the conduit. Um, before that, because he introduced us to, uh, to well, not just you know Robin Lane of uh, the Rules of Guys, but you know he also introduced us to uh, Maddie Conrad, and uh, got us on with Maddie Conrad and um, and a few of the other barbers, which is just you know now we've had the opportunity to you know interview a few or bring a few on the podcast. Yeah, and then uh, hopefully we we get a, a slew of them in the future. But uh, but I mean outside of that, I mean just as a person, man, this dude's been great to yeah, us. Yeah, there's no doubt, there's no doubt, great guy, and uh, we uh, and also what he you know. For the podcast, we we talk a lot about tech stuff, and uh, you know he he's always he's always up on the tech. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, Anyways, we'll my, get into it's this over story. my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, I kind of you know 
cat out of the bag, but our, our, our podcast today is with Curtis Lawrence. Um, and you can actually find him on Instagram at Curtis the Stash. And uh, if you ever see him walking uh, walk uh, a convention floor, you'll know why he's called the Stash. So, uh, Mr. Curtis Lawrence, welcome to your day off. Thank you, guys. How are y'all today? Awesome, man. How you doing? I am absolutely wonderful. That's awesome. So, uh, what, what happened to the jacket, bro? It's hot down here. <laughs> <laughs> you it's, never, it, ever see Curtis uh, in, in a jacket. He, and he came in today with a jacket. Nah, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Like, we, we don't have executive Curtis anymore. Right. No. Yeah. He's saying it's hot in the VIP room. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hot, hot in the this convention center, period. So, right. yeah, Man, no thank you so much, brother, for joining oh, and us. Thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure working with y'all over the last year. I've had a lot of fun with y'all. Oh, my gosh. We, yeah. we, we We've had shared some real a bunch good, yeah. of laughs. <laughs> I have a wonderful job where I get to laugh a lot for who I work for. So I'm very blessed in that, I think. Yeah. It's an amazing, though, just like this industry, like how you can have fun. I mean, oh, just, yeah. we, we've I mean, had a blast doing this, right? Oh, I bet. I can only imagine. And the people you've talked to has been amazing. Oh. And then me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> best yet. I know. You say the best for last, oh, man. No, we can retire that. after this, Tony. <laughs> I wish. So, Curtis, uh, where, uh, where'd you grow up? I actually grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. My father was in the Navy, so we traveled around a lot when I was a child. Um, we kind of settled in Charleston. My mom was from Charleston. My dad met my mother in South Carolina. So I grew up there. I went to high school there. Went to cosmetology school there, actually. In, in South Carolina? In South Carolina. So, uh, so I mean, we know you as a barber, but um, you actually have a cos license? I started out Cosmo. My mother was a hairstylist and back in the day, 1900s maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling. Um, when I started kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and... Never really thought I would cut hair. My mom did it, and I hated it. I always go to the shop on Saturday, and little old these are pinching your cheek. <laughs> I got to sweep up, and she's yelling at me because the towels aren't done. Or I hated it. Right. And then I went off to college and started cutting a couple guys, and I got some money in my pocket, and right. things were good. And then you start knowing people, and I'm like, yeah, I could do this, which kind of took me down the wrong path at my young age. Yeah. Yeah. I was 17, 18, I started selling drugs. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. All right, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, Snoop Dogg, exactly. <laughs> I was in college. I was away from my mother for the first time. Right. You couldn't tell me nothing. So were you like like just weed? or like Yeah, just weed. Too? I was cutting hair, slinging weed, just like most barbers I know. So <laughs> I guess we're not going to get those barbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. End right. of the game. Yeah, right. just kidding. So like, uh, so you were doing like, uh, like fades and joints. Is and that again, the deal? Fades and joints, and doing it right there in the dorm room. And I had the RA in my pocket because I cut his hair for free. I could basically come and go and do as I please. <laughs> oh wow! So I enjoyed it until the ATF kicked the door in. <laughs> what? How much, ATF DA. Which way were you slinging? Well, I got caught up in a big sting. And I just happened to be like way down on the totem pole, but they took us all down at the same time. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm 18 years old. Wait, you were 18 and you were in 18. the dorm? I was 18 in the dorm and they kicked my door in. There was two ATF agents and uh, two FBI and two DEA. It was what? a bit, yeah, it was a tri tri state thing that they were doing at the time. Are you serious? It was huge. What, what college was this? Uh, I was in the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dude, so when they it's kicked not like in the no door. small school either. No, exactly. <laughs> that means he had a lot of weed to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, it's legal now. I know, it's so stupid. Well, we'll get to that. Yes. What so um dude, when they kicked your door in, what what was your heart doing? You hear that 
what you gonna do? What you gonna do? <laughs> well, bad boy, yeah, bad yeah boy. pretty much. Not much you can do, man, because before you know, there's a couple guns in your face, and basically, I was just selling weed. You were a kid, though, yeah, too. I, mean, I was 18. 18. I never had any trouble with the cops. I never even had, I mean, basically, talked to a cop, you know? Right. Never had a dealings with them like that. Whoa. They kick you down or anything? No. Actually, I mean, I was sitting in my chair and was doing homework. Chick Dorian more didn't surprise me than anything else, you know. Right. Did, did you have did you have <laughs> you have stuff in the dorm? I had a little bit, and, you know, I never had a lot on me anyway, because I wasn't that big, you know. I was right. Selling weed to the guys I was cutting hair, just trying to make extra money. That was my retail. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need pomade. You need a joint. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Some Durban poison, maybe. <laughs> Some Pineapple Express. Oh, my God. He's selling it like retail. He's got a whole selection. He's, <laughs> like, he's small time. He's got, like, canisters and stuff. Well, back in those days, it didn't have a name. It was just weed. Just weed. Yeah. There was no strains and all that shit back then. But I am dating myself now. Yeah, right. right. It was just all trash weed. Yeah, it was all it was Mexican swag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And to hope you have more weed than you do seeds. <laughs> <laughs> Popping in your face. <laughs> so, Curtis, so, I, so they kicked the door in. I mean, I just can't imagine being 18. I mean, it, I, you must have been shitting yourself. I was absolutely shitting myself. Uh-huh. And even more so when I went to jail and they set my bond at $1 million. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Yeah. I mean, like, holy, oh, my gosh. So you get arrested that night. I got arrested in the afternoon, about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, I guess. So and they, so they drag you out in handcuffs. Everyone's staring right, in front at you. Of everybody in them because my dorm was in the middle of the college campus. So. And were you, were you the only one arrested on, at the, on the campus? I was the only one arrested on campus. I mean, come on, you couldn't have been the only dude on campus. And I was uh, in that mix of the people I was running with. I was the only one on the campus. But so you didn't? Did you? Did you know how deep? Uh, oh yeah. I well, to some extent, I knew who I was getting it, or the organization I was getting it from. Yes. Man, I can't imagine. 18-year-old kid being yeah, dragged, It was, dragged it was scary as shit. And, like, I have a $1 million bond. I didn't get out of jail at all. I'm in the street. A million-dollar bond? A million-dollar bond. And I literally Do you had, know why it was a million dollars? It was part of this thing. It was a federal thing. Uh-huh. So it had something to do. I don't understand the whole law thing. That's why I'm a barber. But <laughs> they had already set one bond for a certain amount. And because we were all charged with the same crime, they had to charge us all some law, some crap. Never really understood it. And I was young, too. Yeah, sure. And I went through the whole, I have a real animate feeling about, like, now that people have been to prison or trying to get out. And I've worked a lot, and I've done, like, county jail stuff with, like, trying to set up barber programs and stuff, because that's basically where I came from. Right. So, you know, I cut hair when I was in prison. And when I got out of prison, I went directly from the bus off prison straight to the cosmetology school, because I knew if I didn't, I wasn't going to go to cosmetology school. Right. I was going to go off and go back to selling drugs again. Right. So the day I got out of, I spent five years in prison. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, we're, 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 let's slow down today. Yeah. So, so we, um, so they they drag you out of there. They send your bot. They set your bond. Once it was a million bucks, you're like, oh, I'm not getting out. Never getting out. I, honestly, at that point, I thought I was going to jail for. I thought I was going to die in prison. I had no. I didn't understand the whole. You know, like what was going on. I was 18. Right. Why would you? I'd never been in trouble. You'd so never been in you, trouble. Yeah. Didn't understand the whole thing, and then. It's so a, what, it's, so a, it's a federal pen now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a federal crime at the time because it was cross counties, cross states, and it wow. was a big sting. That's why it was so big, and the DA and the FBI and everybody. So, like, what, what, what was going through your head? Like, you're like, "Fuck, mom's gonna find out, dad's gonna find out, all that oh, stuff." Oh, I didn't even want to call my mother. 
No? Never. No, I didn't want to call her at all. Is dad in the picture or just your mom? Yeah, my dad was, yeah. They were both, they were still together at uh-huh. the time. Um, and yeah, and my brother was 14, I guess. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, so, I mean, you didn't want to, but but did you actually talk to him or did the police go, like, uh, hey, we got your son? I don't know how she actually found out. My father was the first one that came to see me in jail. Mm-hmm. And oh. it was, I was there, like, two weeks. In jail was, before yeah, you came I was, like, two weeks before coming. Did you think they'd ever show up or were you, like, did I didn't know, like, people would try in, when you're in prison or whatever, or jail, because prison and jail are two different right. things. But when you're in jail, you got jailhouse lawyers and they're trying to tell you this or whatever. So I really didn't understand what was going on. I just see you like as like this young kid, just naive as can be. Dude, I was scared shitless. Fish out of water. Absolutely scared shitless. And are you are you in, in in jail next to the same guys that are deeper in the organization, or are you guys kind of in together? The guy that I was getting mine from, yeah, we were in the same pod, I guess you call it. So yeah, but the out of all the other ones, I didn't know. I just know the organization I was getting it from. And I was getting it from the one little dude, you know. Right. Did you ever we get threatened? No. Actually, because of the organization, um, nah. <laughs> You're good? Nah. I mean, I can go. It was a hell of angels. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> out of it, scared <laughs> just of that. Yeah. I mean, like, so, uh, were they scared you were going to talk or anything like that? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, you were the just kid. Just that you whole thing. I was, you know, 18. Well, when I started, I was 17. Right. You know, and I'm dealing with a big motorcycle gang and this, that, and the other. And you must have felt a badass before you got arrested. Hey. To some extent, you get a little, you know, you got a shitload of money in your pocket and you're 18, you can't tell you nothing. Right. You, you're like, I got the Hells Angels behind me. <laughs> yeah. Right? What are you going to do with it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it was, it was definitely life changing. I'll say that. Well, so what was that, that conversation like with your dad when he, when he came in? He was the first one to see you. Do you know, it's funny you say that, Tony, because me and my father, even on that day, never discussed it right up until the day he passed away. Are you serious? Yeah. Never discussed me going to prison. I mean, we talked about, you know, like, you okay? Do you need anything? Whatever. Like, the whole time I was, that was fun. But we never discussed how I got there, why we got there. I never told him I was sorry or anything like that. So, we never, my dad was a really hardcore man, you know? Like, you didn't talk about your feelings. You know, this your your typical thing you grew up with. So, and I grew up like that too. So, and I'm still like that to some extent. I've had to learn how to talk about things. Right. Of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> so did you appreciate that, or were you kind of like, come on, Dad, fucking ask me something? You know, the more I, now that I think about that, yeah. it didn't really bother me, I think, until after he passed away. Yeah. I think that was more, you know, like that could have, should have, would have, things that I maybe wanted to have said, and, you know, never really did. Right. Right. Wow. How about your mom? Did- my mom passed away before my father. Um, she had an uh, what do you got, umbilical hernia. It pinched her intestines off, and she passed away in the middle of the night. Are Nobody you knew serious? It. Yeah. So my dad found her the next morning. So my stepdad. Mm-hmm. I have a really funny story about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from South Carolina, and we're, we're hicks. You know, we're uh-huh. hillbillies down there. And my dad and my mom were together, and they split up. And I had a babysitter, and I had a friend growing up that, was the babysitter's son that we were really, really good friends for four, five, six, seven years. And when I turned 11, I found out he was my half brother. <laughs> <laughs> dad was dibbling the babysitter. <laughs> so my mom and dad got divorced. My dad moved two blocks down the street to my stepmom's house. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> Everyone has the same name on that block. Yeah. Right. Almost <laughs> almost 20 years later, right. they get divorced, and my dad goes back down the street to my mom's house. Oh, my gosh. And they got remarried. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So he was your stepdad and your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not funny. But we, we do shit like that in South Carolina. <laughs> Apparently. There's <laughs> no denying it. Yeah. Well, so... <laughs> But now, talking about the conversation with your mom, did she ask you, like, how in the heck you get in here? Did, when oh, she my came mom reamed my ass. <laughs> right. She reamed your ass? Yeah, she reamed my ass. What the fuck are you doing? Are you right. crazy? You know, like. Well, she probably, yeah, I mean, she probably, you probably uh, embarrassed her a little bit, right? Oh, of course. I mean, because, you know, now she's got to explain why I'm not around, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was that thing where you don't really talk about things, you know, until you right. get older. And you really realize when you should have talked about things. Right. You know? But how long were you in jail before you got the actual sentence? Almost a year. Oh. So you waited a year in jail before about you got... nine months. with a Well, I got a, what they call a bond reduction. So they dropped my bond from a million dollars to 150000 And in order to get out, you have to pay 10%. 15 grand, Yeah, right? so you had to pay 15 grand to get out. My mom's like, yeah, no. No. <laughs> 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 That's I'll see you in five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so but they, they supported me all the way through. My mom came, you know, like I uh-huh. pled guilty, of course. And they, you know, what they had me on tape, you know. They, right. I, I was guilty as all. Well. Oh, yeah, they had yeah. you on tape. So oh, yeah. They, oh. They, they, I mean, it was a big sting for a long time. So right. they had audio recording. They had a videotape. They had, dude was across the, some other dude's dorm putting a camera through the window and. Oh, oh, they had whole thing. oh, yeah. I mean, it was Coming a big sting. It was, it took, I think it was a two-year investigation. Oh, my goodness. And like I said, I just got wrapped up in the whole thing. Little mm-hmm. mediocre, little slinging nickel bags, you know? I just got wrapped up in the whole thing. Whoa. They were but getting a haircut, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely changed my life, though. Uh, I mean, it had to have. You had no life uh, before 18. I mean, you're no, 18. No, no, no. I mean, it, I guess I woke up and became a man the day right. I got arrested. The day you got arrested. The day I got arrested because now I'm faced with an institution with grown-ass men that I don't know who the hell grown they ass are. Mother grown-ass mother. Grown-ass, tattooed, right. crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, have, <laughs> I, I have so many. So, I mean, like, you know, were you scared, like, oh, I'm going to get raped up in here? Because, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of think that that's what prison life's about. Yeah, I mean, of course that crossed my mind because as soon as they think jail, that's like the first thing you think about, you know? Yeah. Not once. Never really had any issues with that. Like I said, once. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Not once. Not once. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of weird when you get like a, when you're in prison, you have a certain job. You almost have like an entitlement to that job. The barber is that entitlement job when you're in prison. Because it's one of the few jobs of the prison that I was at that you could, that that prison actually paid you money. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was the only paid job on the whole facility. So oh, really? it was a coveted job for one. Everybody uh-huh. wanted to be the barber because you got money for doing it. Right. It was like 18 cents an hour, but. But whatever. You still, you know, yeah. so it was a coveted job and then it came with a little bit of power and you knew everybody. And same, I mean, it's the same thing that I was doing when I was in college. I was just doing it in prison. I just wasn't selling weed no more. Right. So, so how did, how did you get that coveted job? In prison, I hate to say it this way, but it's a, a racial thing. So you have your black barber, you have your white barber, you have your Hispanic barber, you have your Asian barber. Right. And I was next in line. <laughs> <laughs> How are you next in line at 18, though? Well, they kind of knew I cut hair, and I cut a couple, you know, you take a razor blade out of the thing and stick it in the comb and do a little haircut thing. I had done that to a couple guys because they knew I cut hair. Uh-huh. And it was all, it's a hustle. So it was a way for me, you know, I could get money, I could get 
things off to the commissary and can buy soap, shampoo, socks. Because they don't give you none of that stuff when you're in jail. You have to actually buy that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it was hard, I guess, in a way. It, being that I was so young, I guess, it was easier to adapt, I guess. Then yeah. I didn't have any, okay, well, this is the new situation. Mm-hmm. I just deal with that now that I'm in that situation. Right. Damn. Yeah. I was sentenced to 10 years, and I did five years and seven months on 10 years and got out on parole. Good deal, man. I only sat on parole for a year. So, so once you know. got the official job, did you get, like, legit clippers and stuff? You didn't have to do You did, like, but they were chained to the wall. <laughs> chained to the wall? <laughs> yeah. So you had your cord that plugged in the wall, and they had, like, a link chain uh-huh. that was welded onto the, like, an Andes master. Right. And welded onto the housing, and then it was actually chained bolted into the wall so you couldn't go with the clipper. Same thing with the scissors. They were all to a chain. And at the end of the day, you had to turn them all in. They'd sign them out. Next morning, you come in. they sign them back out to you. they lock them back up on the wall and you do your thing for the day. Wow. What are you going to do with clippers? Like, I understand why scissors. You can actually make a tattoo machine with a pair of clippers. Oh, of course you can. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Do you have any jailhouse tattoos? I do on my ankle. I got... Dumbass girl's name on my ankle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he was saying he was a dumbass for getting the girl's name or if she nah, was a dumbass. A little of both, actually. <laughs> Only prison tattoo, and then I actually never really got a lot of tattoos, and the ones I do have are kind of in weird spots, like my ears. Yeah. So I never, I always wanted to do my arm, you know, I wanted the full sleeve. Yeah, yeah, cool, me too. Cool barber, <laughs> ride a boosted board, and right. get a Rolex. All that stuff? Yeah. You want to look like Lane? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's great. So um so what was it like like when that like when that gavel came down, the proverbial gavel, like goosh, you got ten years, brother. That hit me hard because the attorney, which was uh, what they call a public defender, so the, the <laughs> court. <laughs> the, the, you mean a public defender that they call an attorney? Yeah. <laughs> so the court appoints you somebody, and then you go, and he represents you, and he's got like a thousand cases, and they try and run them all through in five minutes. And right. I really don't think the judge even knows you other than your name on a piece of paper. Right, and forgets it two seconds yeah. later. Especially if you're in that situation where you're pleading guilty, because like that day, there was like a hundred dudes that pled guilty and all went to prison that day. Right, that's crazy. They just, they, it was like a cattle thing. They just boop, boop, boop. You got ten years. You got five years. You got two years. Keep on moving. I wow. literally was in front of the judge for maybe a minute. So we call that justice. Yeah, that's what they call justice in the United States. Wow, oh, that is stupid, man. So I originally, you signed the paperwork. I signed the deal for five. So I was going to sign my name saying that I was guilty if you were going to send me to prison for five years. Right. And then he'd give me ten. Were you like, mother... Well, it's something to do with the prosecutor, and he was talking about the big sting and this, that, and the other, and it really had nothing to do with me because I was way down on the totem right. pole. But he was making the sting... They always do, yeah, right? This guy's the worst guy in the yeah, world. Yeah, of course, yeah. Right. I watch Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry from the three of us at this table. We don't know. I can't Some even. of your audience might be a little dated by that one. The, the Perry right. Mason, I know. Yeah. Like <laughs> Who's Perry Mason? Who's Perry right. Mason? Um, <laughs> who is Perry Mason? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Only Tony. Dick. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine either. Like, I can't. I, from, I see it from two perspectives, right? I see it like if that was me sitting in that chair, and then I know I asked you about your mom. Like, I can't imagine as a parent 
like like watching your baby like you know disappear behind the clank clank. Yeah, you and know? there's nothing you can do about it. Right. No. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, because literally your your entire life changes from one second to the next. Right. So I was in my room doing homework, and a minute later, handcuffed Over. and out the door. Yeah. So how did it feel the first day or the first minute yeah. walking out? Walking out? I was going to go walking in. But you didn't go <laughs> walking out. Like. Walking in, like... I don't really remember a lot of that. So when you were in jail, did you get sent to a prison awaiting trial or were you in a jail? No, I was in like a county jail, like your local. Like an 18 Yeah, I was, they held federal prisoners at the time. I was a federal prisoner Uh because it was a federal crime. They they held federal prisoners there at that county jail where I was at. And then when I got sentenced, I went to a federal prison, but they sent me all the way to Alabama. (laughs) You went to Bama? I went to Bama, Starlet. I went to Bama first and then I went to Illinois and then I came home. So when you went to Alabama, like, is it, is it what, you, what what everyone talks about? Like, you go in, they strip search you, they do all yeah, that. All that good stuff. And is, is that's like, I mean, that's your, as a kid, that's like, a, I mean, just, I mean, as everyone, I guess it's just humiliating it's, too, right? It's two things all at once. I think, for me, it was demoralizing for one. Sure. And you're so fucking scared, you don't know what to do anyway. Right. You know? It's, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. I will say that, and now talking about it, because I don't think I've ever really talked about it, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Because you don't know one second till the next what's going to happen. And right. So is it like, like in the movies or like in television shows that you see, is it that segregated? Like, all, is it? Yes. It is super segregated. I think I went into prison not knowing what a racist was and came out knowing exactly what a racist was. Right. So, I mean, it's very segregated. Like I said, the, even to the prison point of... If you were black, you went to a black barber. If you were Asian, you went to an Asian barber. If you were white, you went to a white barber. And the the white barber kit that you cut hair on the white man can't go to the Asian man. Like, oh, really? Did, yeah, it was it was that hardcore. Did you make any mistakes? Like, did it make any racial mistakes? Um, like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, like crossing lines that you're like, oh, wait a second, there's a line here? I didn't know that. No, it, it was really uh, in unique situation like i said with the barber thing because it'd be in that coveted job or the more like the more important job so no i, I me myself no but i definitely seen i mean early on you weren't oh, like yeah. oh yeah. Well, I, I mean i can't be friends with him or i can't be friends with him to some extent yes and then like I and mean, are those I'm, mistakes that everybody makes maybe i don't know that's gonna yeah. be an individual thing i imagine yeah, i guess so i mean i worked next to a black guy for a long time but we talk all day long in the barbershop, but when we would go out in the yard, you wouldn't even talk Nothing. to each other. Right. No eye contact. No, no eye contact. No, you can't be seen talking to, you know, it's it's sad in a way. It's so weird, right? It's super weird. And like I said, like, you go from one thing one day, I'm sitting in my dorm room to the next, I mean, the next hour, I'm in county jail. Right. In an orange jumpsuit, you know? Right. So when they were it's walking. It's a very strange feeling. Walking you down uh, in, in the Fed uh, prison, uh, like you, like in the movies, were they yelling stuff at you as you're walking down, carrying your mattress, carrying your? Actually, when I got I got there late at night, so everybody was already like, like in the racks. Yeah, everybody was already asleep, and they put me in like this holding cell thing till the next morning. So. Oh, you got lucky. Yeah. Uh, God, I remember all that now. Right. Yeah. Actually, having this conversation, I remember all that. And you have to carry all that shit in with you and stuff. Um, when you go, you actually take nothing with you. Right. And then, like before I went to prison, like all my stuff that. Like, when I went to jail that day, they took my watch and my ring and my shoes and my shoelaces, right. and they take all that. But before you go to prison, you either donate it or you send it home because mm-hmm. you can't take it with you. Right. 
they give you prison gear and all that good stuff. All that stuff. All that good stuff. And then is is there like you said you had to buy everything? So you, do you get do you get a first run of like here's your soap and then the yeah next they give run? you like uh, three pair of pants, three shirts, two pair of underwear, two pair of socks. Uh huh. So if you want any more than that, you gotta buy it. You gotta buy it yourself. And was it was it expensive? Like how much was like a no, pair I mean, of socks? Two bucks. Two bucks, and then you no, know, but two bucks in prison is like two hundred dollars on the outside. Right, you know, like that's hard. You got to really. And, and could your mom or could your family members like? They add had money to make you money, commissary? but it's a process, so they couldn't like they couldn't bring you money. Like if she came to see you, to see me, right, she couldn't bring me actual cash money. She had to bring like a money order and put it in this little thing, and then it had to go in your account. And you had to wait for it to come on, and then you could go to the commissary with your little card. Right, right, right. So that was a. Big process. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely something that I'll, I'll always remember. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, so, no so, doubt. so, did you bunk with a newbie, or did you, uh, or they put you? I with was like in a big. big there was no like bunk. Like we didn't have like individual cells. It was like one big room. But we there were 88 people in each pod. So that was a, I would. I would think that that would be scarier than being in a cell because at least in a cell you get at least a little relief. You gotta, yeah, you got a little bit of closure or somewhere you can get away. And that right. is a, it's a little bit weird because you are in one big room with 88 other people and never had been like that ever. You know, had been to summer camp. And, and, and 88, like, that, like, murderers or 88, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. real yeah. motherfuckers. Everything from, you know, rapists to child molesters to everything, you know. Was there, like, one guy that kind of ran ran everything? His name is Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, there's in each racial quarter, I guess you'd say. So it was all a, white dudes in this pond? In my pod, no, but very segregated. You sat together, you ate together, played basketball together, you did everything together. God, I, that would one stay on one side of the room, crazy. the other one stay on the other side of the room. You don't mingle. Damn. And somebody made that up like fifty years ago, and it's still or, today. Yeah, you know? or even more longer than that. It's just, yeah. it's dumb, it's stupid. That's so crazy. I know. I'm. I, I personally know somebody who lost their life over something like that. So over something dumb, know, just like that. Some stupid racist bullshit, you know? Right. It's funny how, how like, as a society, everything, even technology, everything evolves except for, like, the prison system, <laughs> and, you know, like certain systems. Oh, we don't. That would be a whole other podcast. You want to go down prison reform with me? <laughs> That's a whole other podcast yeah, right. all by itself. Uh, it's funny how things, some, some things... They don't believe in, in, in reforming or, or changing. Well, nothing. So, no. I mean, I get the whole punishment thing, and I've always said this, and you you probably heard me say this too, Tony, is in America, if we did certain things like certain countries do, if you steal something, I'm going to chop your damn hand off. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have that problem anymore. No. no. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I like my fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was in Saudi, right? And uh, I was in this... First off, jewelry stores in Saudi Arabia are totally different. It's not like a couple pieces of gold under the glass, right? No, it's, it's like yeah. the walls are covered. Like, like I don't even know how you distinguish each piece because it's on, it looks like Mr. T's chest, right? There's so much gold on the wall <laughs> that you can't even like figure it out. And there was this watch sitting on a countertop. Did you hear me? Sitting on a countertop is a Rado watch, right? And um, I'm looking at it, and it's like it's like it's like hip hop star, right? It's like diamonds and between each bezel, the diamond bezel between each link, there's oh, diamonds. Oh, it, <laughs> it was crazy. It was totally crazy. So I take the watch and I flip it over and it's 1.2 million royales. And at the time, that was like $250,000 just sitting on the countertop, right? In Saudi Arabia. I go, I could run out this door and they couldn't do anything about it. And then I realized 
you need a hand for your wristwatch to fit. Because if you don't have a hand, your wristwatch is going to keep slipping off like that. So it was definitely a deterrent. Well, I wasn't going to steal it. Let me be clear. Yeah, of course, but, yes. but it's just weird how culturally it's so much different. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't care that it was, you know, nobody's going to steal that. You know? I was going to touch that. No. Mm-mm. I did. Here, I like, you, you can't sit your bottle cap down somebody don't walk by <laughs> and you're going to get it. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, even like, you know, you know, what? Uh, Sing- was it Singapore or yeah Singapore right yeah Singapore with a dude with chewing the, gum with the cane they cane yeah. that yeah, kid cane how kid. clean that city is because uh, nobody's uh, chewing gum and spitting it out or <laughs> littering because <laughs> nobody yeah you want their rear spank with that big old cane you know no, what I mean? sir. no so, sir I damn sure don't <laughs> <laughs> I will properly discard it <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. recycle <laughs> trash <laughs> right <Yep. laughs> I'd be worried what I, right now I'm worried about what recycle is you know uh, you yeah, go to like recycle you're like. Which one's recycle? Is paper recycle? Is co- yeah, driving recycle? up here and like we're talking about, you, you see trash bags on the side of the road, and you know it's just like, you know, it, here's waste. You know, it's somebody else's problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think a, a lot of cities in America have come that way now. Yeah, it's somebody else's I problem. Think we're so fortunate because we, you know, we, we all live in D.C. and like D.C. is just such a clean city. You know, you don't even realize how clean it is until you're outside of the city. Really, <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. You know I mean? definitely noticed that. You go to New York, you're like, what the, the hell, hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> you come to Philly, you're like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> I really, till I, I had never been to Philly until last year when I came for a premiere last uh-huh. year, and I was like, oh, this city's dirty as shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tony and I were talking about this last night. Um, there's so many homeless people <sighs> right around the convention center. Now, granted, like it, it, it's covered, so it's a place for people to sleep and stuff. But it, we were talking about like almost nobody panhandles. Like, you see lots of homeless, but they're not panhandling. Like, in D.C., like, everybody's Everybody panhandling, right? Like, yeah, keep your hand on your wallet. But I never got that sense. I mean, it was just, it's actually, when, as we were walking, it was more from a place of empathy watching, like, what their life was, as opposed to, like, in D.C., where you're kind of like, get away from me, you yeah. know, like, because they're, they're in your face panhandling. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, I don't know how we got sidebarred on that. Who but, right, but you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you You had a home in prison. I had a home in prison for five years. <laughs> Got and I did get out finally. Mom. Yeah, yeah, I got a tattoo, <laughs> mom on my ankle. <laughs> That's Crazy. right. So, so, what was the day like coming out? It's a lead up because you find, you know, you know what day you're going home. So you're counting on days down, like a hundred days. So left, out of the ten years, days. you knew that what. That well, what day? when you you go in, you go through a series of things. You talk to counselors and this that other, and they give you a like a social worker or caseworker kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then they give you what they call your out date or your parole date, this, that, and other. So I had a parole date. I missed the first one. They didn't give me a parole the first time. And then I went to the second time. They granted me parole, and I got to leave. But I had to wait 48 hours because they had to verify my address before they would let me go. So they give you parole, and then you had 48 hours? Yeah. Okay. So and that's you- actually probably the most dangerous time when you're in prison. I was going to ask that. Yeah, you don't tell anybody, right? You're like, oh, Yo, I didn't hell make it. No. You, I didn't make it again, right? Yeah. And everyone, nobody's ever made parole on the on the on the on no. the yard. No. And then you're like, you're always going, like, I'm just going to the jail hall. Yes, going home, but you just don't tell nobody that. Hey, what's that? Because if anybody has like vendetta or something, or that, I mean, I never really understood that whole thing, or is it, or out of a respect thing for the man that you've been next to for the last five years, it's going to be there for the rest of his life. Right. That makes sense. You don't tell your cellie or nothing. Nothing. Awesome. How many cellies your dates you? like your t- you know like your dates to yourself. You don't right. tell your date to anybody. Wow, another one of those weird prison yeah. things. Or weird prison things. But you, but 
you know, it's, you know how like if you've been so excited for something, you can't wait. Oh, dude, so the anxious. anticipation. Does I mean, you cannot wait. You're like that motherfucker's I mean, smiling too much. I you literally got a counted the days. I I took a little piece of paper and I made a little calendar and I literally counted the days of the last six like, months every I, night before I went to bed. Oh, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm confused now. So was was you said you had 48 hours? So what were you marking off for six months? So you know hearing? what day you're going to the parole hearing, right? So, you're so you know what day. day off. You know what day, but you don't know what your fate is. So you right. go home that day, or you not go home that day. Right. So you count me because you got a 50-50 chance. So, of course, I'm real, very anxious, you know, yeah. that whole anticipation leading up to anxiety that is just intense. You're like, man, why are you so happy, man? Why are you so happy all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> that guy going home thing is amazing. Then I got home, my brother picked me up from, they flew me, I was in Illinois, it flew me from Illinois back from, to Charlotte. Oh, so how'd you get from uh, from uh, Alabama to from Illinois? Alabama to Illinois? Mm-hmm. Con Air. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like you and Dave Chappelle. Me and Dave Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> On Con Air. And uh, Nick Cage. Nick Cage, that's right. What's crazy is that he's talking about his brother picking him up, right? So when he left, his brother was 14 years old. Yeah. So he was riding bike in middle yeah. school. My brother picked me up on my Harley Davidson. <laughs> 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 yeah. He be, um, they flew me to Charlotte, and then they gave me $100. So the day that I got out, I did that 48-hour thing, and they verified my address because I was going back to my mother's house. And they verified my address. They come pop the thing, and I could walk out the door. They gave me $100 and a plane ticket. The plane ticket took me back to where I was arrested. Which is North Carolina? Charlotte. Wow. So, so I got to Charlotte, and I did it from Charlotte to Charleston on my own. So my mom, Western, needed me money to get on the bus, and I literally had nothing when I got on the bus. No change. Like she bought the ticket. I had no ID. Nothing. I had to show like prison paperwork to get on the bus to verify who I was because oh I had God. nothing. Right. They took not. everything away from you. Whoa, that's crazy. That is insane. Yeah, what what year did you go in? Shit. What year was that? I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't your Sully. It Fuck. was in the eighties. We'll put it that way, yeah. (laughs) It was in the 80s. I kind of wanted a timeline because I want to ask the question, like, what was the biggest thing in, like, life or in world that you're, like, that was a real big change over those five years? Cell phone. So the cell phones came in and, like, readily available? It wasn't a readily available thing. They were just kind of coming on the the bag phone was coming around about that time. So that kind of puts it around that. And pagers. Pagers were huge back then. Right. Because, I mean, Soul Jugs, I had a pager, of course. Right. Pagers, and then, of course, that whole era, we went to the huge bag phone and worked our way up that way. So, like, when, when you, I got out of prison, right at that time, I got the, the bag phones were huge because everybody, if you were anybody, had a bag phone then. Remember those old bags? Yeah, they were fucking they were terrible. They were huge. It was like the size of a Samsonite suitcase. <laughs> Think about the radiation your body was taking oh from the Oh, my God, phones. can you imagine? <laughs> but hey, that motherfucker's glowing. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. That's uh, crazy. So that was a while ago then. I mean, yes, you, that was I mean, a very, very, very long time ago. You must be like 88 years old or something. Um, old some people say that. Some people say I was Jesus' barber back in the day. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, or Adam's barber, however Adam's you want to look at it. Yeah. So you get back to, like you said, you got back to Charlotte, but you knew. Uh, I knew. That leading up to that getting out day, you're either going to go or you're not going to go. So what's my plan? What am I going to do? And, you know, of course, talking to my mother and everything else. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to cosmetology school. Because uh-huh. back then it wasn't cool to be a barber. 
Right. You know, like in the like, '80s, like it was just the old dude that shook in the corner, and like nobody yeah. went to him. You know, like or he was, it was sleeping. Like seven dollar haircut. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was not, not even. It was like three bucks back then. Right. You know, so or he was sleeping and he didn't want to mess with him. Right. He never wake up a sleeping boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's your next tattoo. Yes. <laughs> so I went to cosmetology school, and of course it was the girls' thing too. Man, I yeah, just spent right? five years in prison. Oh. Yeah. God. I literally because my brother picked me up from the bus station. And we, I mean, I was on the back of the bike, and we drove directly to the cosmetology school. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. You didn't go see mom or nothing? No, I went directly to the cosmetology school. Mom must have been school. pissed at you. No, because I had already told her. Because I told her, I'm going to go do this first because I've got a bad feeling just about myself and knowing how I am. If I do any kind of deviation from my plan, right, it's never going to happen. Well, I have mad respect for you, one. Two, I can't imagine, and i got to be like sensitive when i say this but like you went from like the world's most masculine institutionalized thing into cosmetology, to cosmetology school, school. which is like you know not the world's most masculine <laughs> no not thing. at all so how i mean i, I can't even well the school i went to wasn't i mean of course we had the you know one very special guy there right you know but and for me it never really i came across that later on in my career mm-hmm. it never was like at the beginning at the beginning yeah at the beginning when school no i never had a problem in school with right. like any kind of issues like that. Or what like um, what kind of like uh, you know, post prison like PTS did you have? Just about like readjusting into society and be like, like like in prison you're like, why is it why is it dude looking at me or, or something like that? I hate to say it, but everything is brighter. Everything smells different. Yeah. When you're cooped up in a room and you only go outside one hour a day for five years, and you walk outside now you're outside you're in the rain. I hadn't been in the rain for five years. Whoa. Rain hadn't touched my skin for five years. Wow. So it was different. I mean, I literally, I sat in the rain and cried one night. Are you serious? Oh, of course. I mean, there's things you miss, man. There's, you're, you're told from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Wow. And then they kick you out the door. And some guys do it for 20, 25 years, and then they kick them out of the door. I can't even. So, I mean, you get, they get, that's why a lot of guys get institutionalized. They get out. They try their hardest to stay out, but it's easier to go back. Right. It's crazy. It's super man. easy. I know a lot of them like that. Wow, I can't imagine. That's crazy. Were you ever scared that you were going back? No. Nah. I mean, of course, we've all done dumb shit. Right. You know, I got pulled for DUI after that. You know, that scared me because I was like, fuck, I'm going back to prison now. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, Never really bothered me because I had a, a whole different track about what I was focused on at that time. And it was like, I was 18, I didn't have a track back then. Right. It was just kind of whatever happened, happened. But that growing up, that first day, I guess, going to prison, I was like, all right, I got to focus. I'm going to go, and this is what I'm going to do. And you kept I've always focus. been that way. And uh, whatever I do, I go fucking 1,000, 100 miles an hour at it, whatever. Bad, yeah, right, I do. Exactly. Wash straight at it, right at the mountain. Boom. It's wow. the way I've always been. <laughs> to my downfall of some things too. Of course, of course. You know, wow. Yeah, good for you, brother. So I did the cosmetology thing, and I actually I went to a really cool cosmetology school that was a pivot point school. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I awesome. went to a really cool pivot point school, and my mom had taught there on and off. 
when I was a kid, so I knew the owner. The owner knew me, kind of knew my history. He knew, you know, I'd been in prison and everything. So, so do you think if he didn't know your mom or something, you think he would have taken you to school? Or do you think it would? No, he could. I mean, he bit? couldn't refuse me from coming to school because it wasn't back then. Like now, they ask you if you have a criminal record when you go to get your cosmetology license, but right. back then they didn't. So I think I Maryland know. does. Maryland always has. Really? Yeah. South yeah. Carolina never did, and they started oh, ten years ago or so, I guess. Right. But I mean, a lot of like. There's a lot of things back then that are different than they are now, you know. It's way different. So I right. get that. I understand that at some point. Right. Why, I mean, I guess, I mean, would they reject you? I mean, I mean he could and he couldn't. I mean, if I found out that, I mean, I could sue him or something, I guess. I don't know. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, so, but, I, you know, I knew her because she, you know, did My mom worked for Redken for a long time. My mom was a hairstylist. Uh, what was Jerry Redding? Really Jerry dating myself because <laughs> if any of the audience is listening, you know the whole Jerry Redding red thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. That is funny. That's crazy. So I got out, went to cosmetology school, and did my whole thing, and sucked at cutting hair. Really? Absolutely sucked at <laughs> it. But, it's, but you were oh, yeah. you were a barber. You had five well, years yeah. experience. Guy hair. Right. So not, you were working inside shapes, not outside shapes, right. essentially. Yeah, right? I, was a, I was a fader. I wasn't a hair cutter back then. Like, I knew right. how to fade. That was all. I, when I went to prison, I, I did a mean fade. That's, you know, I still do a mean fade. Got right. 99 problems, but a fade ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a shirt, bro. That's a shirt. <laughs> that's crazy. So what was that adjustment like? I mean, you had to change how you saw hair and everything, right? It, well, I didn't know anything about hair because I had any really formal training. Just you know, from watching mom do or whatever, right. you know, like hanging out with a couple of dudes, you know, in the garage, and you figure it out. Right. You know, I think as dudes, we've all cut our own hair at least once. You know, uh-huh. you fuck it up really bad, and you do really good. <laughs> if you do really good, then you think you're a barber. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you do really good, you cut someone else's. Hair. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of happened with me. <laughs> That's hilarious. So what about like how did uh how'd you how'd you perm and how'd you foil and all that law? Absolutely sucked at that too. And could not did not understand the whole theory and law of color. I was completely lost. It was sounded like Charlie Brown when that lady was talking. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. But then something clicked one day. I don't know what, I can't explain it. I was in haircutting class and I was like, Oh, I fucking get it. I get it. Yeah. I get that, but all the other shit I still don't get, but I get that. Right. So if I get that, then I'm going to focus on the get that and mm-hmm. fuck all that other shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to focus in on that. So I ended up going to work for Redken because my mom worked for Redken. Right. In the show circuit thing. So I was, you know, basically the show bitch, you know. Right. Come, you did the trash and you shampooed fucking a thousand people on the weekend, you know. It's kind of how I started with the whole hair show thing on Teen Million years ago. So you so right after hair school, you right after hair school, at a salon and yeah. Stuff? Well, I worked at a salon. The first salon was like absolutely crazy, insane. And went to work one day, and like the lady had closed up in the middle of the night and took all our shit with her. And that was my first shop I worked at. Yeah, son of a gun. Yeah, that must have been. It must have been like to backtrack a little bit. I just it just crossed my. It must have been so weird, like being in hair school and then thinking like. Yeah, a year ago, man. I oh, was yeah. Getting, I was clank, clank. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> right? Well, because I literally had been out of prison less than 24 hours, and I'm now standing in a room with 66 hot-ass chicks. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I'm total shell shock. Oh, dude, I can't even <laughs> <laughs> Total shell shock, bro. 
Oh, my gosh. Were a lot of people afraid of you? No. I mean, I never really, that was, the day that I walked out was kind of, okay, I'm going to shut that door. I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, unless I come into a situation where I had to talk about it. And I right. never really like got podcast. in. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I actually probably haven't talked about it my entire life until right now. <laughs> but back then, you didn't talk about shit like that. Right. You know, and like, I've gotten fired from a couple jobs for not telling them. Really? In prison. Yeah, I, I, I won't say any names, but right. a very large company let me go because I lied on my application. It asked me if I had been convicted of a felony, and I said no. So when you um when you were marking no though, like were your hands shaking? Like you knew you were lying. And like, yeah, but you, I mean, at that time you didn't want it because you knew if you put yes, they weren't going to fucking hire you anyway. Right. I mean, you had nothing to lose. Really, yeah. you're either going to get fired yeah. or you're not going to get the job. Yeah. So, so maybe they don't find it. out. Yeah. It's like fuck it, let's do it. It was kind of weird. Kind of one of the reasons my mom actually said this to me when I was in prison. She goes, well, they won't, you know, I've been a salon owner my whole life, and I've never checked anybody's criminal background. Like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Right. So that kind of what's one of the reasons that steered me toward my, that, too. Your mom threw you under the bus. Go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't every mother? Right. Uh, but it worked yeah. for, you know, I worked in a shop, and I did all that for a while, and Met a girl, got married, we moved to Florida, and I come across this absolutely wonderful thing called Tony and Guy. Yeah. So many of you barbers started out with Tony and Guy, right? Oh, man, I know something about Tony and Guy. I don't know. I don't. For me, it was. And was this like 95, 96, 97, those times? 96, 97. Bedhead yeah. had just launched. All oh, right, that's when we were with. Yeah, so Bedhead had just launched. It was like self absorbed and control freak and the yeah. Bedhead <laughs> stick. And there was like right. three products in the Bedhead line. That was it. And one salon in Dallas, because Tony got me and split. Right. But that was my thing with them was, okay, they were the only ones at the time, and you either cut or you color. You didn't have to do both, and I didn't have to do nails and skin and everything right. and be jack all my trades. Like, I was completely lost with that. I got to focus in on one thing, and that's what Tony and Guy did. If I wanted to cut, I cut. And if I wanted to color, I color. Right. So that I, I needed a structure in my life. I'd been in prison for five years. Still need some kind of structure, you know. So I did Tony and Guy thing. I went to work for Tony and Guy in Orlando. In Orlando. In Orlando. So, so you, so you, you're not a, quite a, a barber yet. You're, you're still no, I'm still Cosmo. Still yeah. full on Cosmo. Wow. Still doing women's hair. Was you know, at the time I believe it was like art director level one or something like that. I moved through the ranks real quick, and then went to London for a little while. It's actually how I met Kevin. Kevin Luckman. Yeah, my buddy Kev. Kevo. Wow. So Tony and Guy, like, they gave me that structure, and it was a family, and we kind of did our own thing, and we just kind of said, fuck the world, everybody else. And we did our own world releases and everything. I was totally into all that. And I was like, you cool. know, it was weird. It was and rock that, and roll. Was yeah, what yeah, it was. yeah, of course it was. You know, like, and then, too, the more I think about it, we were all white. Kind of like being in prison. <laughs> so I felt at home. <laughs> he is institutionalized. Yes, uh, totally. <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I worked funny. for Tony and Guy for a long time. Absolutely. My core, I bled Tony and Guy bedhead for probably the first third of my career, I guess. Yeah, right. And wow. then always was that men's hair cutter. So I always had a clientele. Right. Because you know, I did have a mean fade. Or at least I thought I did. Right. I still think I do. 
But were they, were they, were they fading then? I mean, no, I mean, you like have had military guys, right? you know, like, right, what right, right. Tony guy was just shredding hair back then. We were yeah. just, I mean, just shredding the shit out of it, razor cutting everything. Everything, everything on was, end? Yeah, everything was yeah, everything was square layers, and we were just smashing it into it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, so how did you uh, how'd you get into the barbering track? Hmm. What's supposed to be a trick question, well, Kurt? Because <laughs> there's a lot that goes before the barbering Yeah, thing. yeah, go ahead then. Yeah, yeah. So after tuning Guy, I had a little, I started competing and doing hairstyling competitions. And in this hairstyling competition part of it, Tony and Guy started to have a little problem with me competing. Because uh-huh. we were our own thing. And if you're going to do that, you're going to go do that. If not, you're going to stay here and you're going to do Tony and Guy. And I was still like, you know, like, fuck you. You didn't tell me what to do. Right. You know, so I bounced and I left and did my own thing. <laughs> it didn't work out and I went back. <laughs> 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 so the whole, I did competitions for a long time and I thought that's where, you know, I wanted to be a world champion. I trained with a whole bunch of world champions. Joe King Roos, Manuel Rodriguez, Michael De La Pena. Did the men's? I started out men's, and then I transferred over in the ladies because it was more. The men's in that world is always the same thing over and over and over. It's very re- repetitive, just like a regular barber. I didn't want to do that. I wanted something fresh every time. Right. Traveled all over the world doing that. Um, got into training and like teaching other people how to do that. Because, right. like I said, I've always been that one to do a hundred, go at anything for a hundred miles an hour. So when I got in the whole competition thing. I would train for four, five, six hours at a time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, That's what you do. It's OMC right. is the organization of Mondale Cofuer. So at that level of competition, it's something you have. I mean, you're doing an 18-minute blow dry from soaking wet hair. you oh. got to know, like, point A to point B to point C to point D. And it's you can't be bouncing around. You're wasting time. So it's a system. By the time you work your way around the entire chair, you're done. You know what's amazing wow. to this is that <laughs> You know, certainly our relationship or, you know, we, we met your, you've always been the behind the scenes guy. Yes. And like, I just, until this moment, and I don't mean this in any disrespect yes, at yeah. all, but until this moment, I didn't realize how, like, how, how deep your and how thick your foundation is. Right. Like, like I never, like. I never really, everybody says that to me. I've never really thought that myself. But, right, yeah. but you've done a lot of stuff. I have, man. man. You know, and you've done I it at the short, highest levels. It, well, that's because me doing everything a thousand miles an hour, you know, like. I'm going for it. Right. I did when I was Tony Guy. I mean, it was like the first, the fastest one in for the United States. I was like the fastest one to get art director. You know, it was Whoa. like, you give me a goal, I'm going to blow it out of the water. Whoa. So it's just one of those things. This is the person that I am. That's crazy. Which crazy. drew me into the, like, being the competition thing, I left and I went to work for Pivot Point. And in Chicago? In Chicago. Well, I worked for Pivot Point, but I didn't live in Chicago. Uh-huh. Was so, Gordon there? Yeah. yeah. At Pivot yes. Point. Oh, yeah. Gordon was actually, Gordon was there still. Leo was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo kind of took me under his wing, Leo Passage, the, the founder and creator of Pivot Point. He saw, you know, something in me. And he's like, Curtis, we got to do something with you. If not, I'm thinking. Like, he was one of the only people at the time that I had told that I had been to prison mm-hmm. in the industry. Right. Like, no bosses. Other than the one person that fired me that knew. <laughs> Leo Passage was the only man at that time knew that I had been in prison. Wow. And had no problem with it. None. Didn't give a fuck. Well, at that point, how long had you been out? Oh. Decade, Ten years or something? Yeah, a decade at least. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I mean, a decade. I mean, come yeah. on. You ain't going back. No. You know? At that point, no. Not at all. What's cool is that you just, you know, so a lot of people want to test the waters or see how it goes. 
Did you just jump in two two I, feet in? And th- two, four feet in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like boom. Um, uh, when they say all in, I'm yeah. all in. Wow. Which kind of led me where I am now. I did the pivot point thing. I was overseas, and my mom had already passed. And then my dad passed while I was living in China. Mm. And then come home. Well, he, I was told that he passed. And I come home to find out that he didn't pass. They had revived him. But nobody called me and told me. story? I've got some fuck. I tell you, this, it's a South Carolinian thing, like. We got some fucking weird <laughs> stories. He comes all the way back from China for his funeral. And yeah, his dad's and my dad said yes. <laughs> they failed to call me and tell me because of the time change. Right. And my brother, and he's still to this day, my brother, the same thing. He's like, I fucking forgot to call you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine going back for your yeah, dad's funeral? Yeah, dude, I was funeral? fucking wrecked. Right. Yeah. Absolutely wrecked. And my dad was still alive, yeah. My like. But he ended up passing. But he's in a better place, not much better. He had a he had a heart attack one week, and he had a stroke the following week after I was home. Right. So I was home when he did pass. That's when I your brother good. became your stepbrother, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was home when he passed. So that was good. Oh my gosh. But in that, I mean, this fairly recently. So we're thinking, what was that? I was like, when did he pass away? Twenty eleven. Right. So twenty eleven. I'm back home. Still in college. Yeah, I wasn't working in a shop because I had been teaching. So I had been teaching five years overseas, so I wasn't working in a shop. I went to try and work in a job. This wasn't my thing anymore. What was it? They're like working in a shop. Like work, you know, like grinding out, doing like, foils all day. Like, oh, that's right. just not, you know, like I worked like for 20 guys. Yeah, day, I'm not fucking doing that. Then I'm just not, no, I'm not <laughs> doing that. So I can't, so I made some really good money in China. So I didn't have to really work when I got back for a little while, you know, right. of course. And one day I was on YouTube and I found this guy called the Bloody Butcher. No. And he was fucking cool. The Bloody Butcher got you into barbering? And I'm really barbering, but I found it was the first time I seen him. And it was one of the first videos they had ever put on YouTube and Scorum had just started. Right. I'm like, they're fucking cool. Yeah. I felt the same exact way. Yeah, they're fucking cool. I could do something like that. Yeah. But they were always that like, oh yeah, they're fucking cool, but. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, at that point, you're like, that's the coolest barbershop in the world. Oh, yeah, and barbershops yeah, totally. just, you know, they just, it, it's just like it hasn't spread yet, yeah, right? It, like no, it, not at all. I mean, it was it. so, and like, I didn't even know the whole story. I just seen like, cool Rob on, on YouTube. Right. You know? And then I started digging around a little bit and found a couple more things. And, and I found out they got a Facebook. And I'm going down all the Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, I really like this. But it sparked an interest in me because... Nobody had ever really taught me how to do a pompadour. Nobody ever really taught me how to do a side part. No. These are classic foundations of the barbering industry. I spent 15 years in the industry, never learned none of that shit. So it was different. It was I like I sought after that because it was more. I was really education based, coming from that Tony and Guy world, coming from the Pivot Point world. We were super just ground in education. That's what I was searching for. It's like okay, right. well, what's my next thing? That's fucking cool. I think I can do that. Right. So I started, you know, called. And actually, it was funny. I sent, I think, a Facebook message to the Facebook Messenger or whatever. And on the other end, actually, was Lawrence Haggerty. But I didn't know who it was on the other end at the time, which was a startup rule. Right. <laughs> Got to talk in. He sent me a couple products. And I'm like, oh, cool. This fucking, this is badass. Right, 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 right. I get the products. No. Of course, nobody can see, but I have no fucking hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hair product junkie, but I'm a fucking hair. You know? <laughs> like Rob. Oh, yeah, of course. 
so I got the product. I played around with them, and then uh, I kind of ran out of money, and I had to figure out something and start doing some work or whatever. So go down to the barbershop. I think I can do this. Right. So I moves it on down to the barbershop. Guy goes, can you cut hair? I say, fuck yeah, I can cut hair. He said, man, I cut hair, and it was like this 90-year-old man, the flabbiest skin you ever want. He wanted me like straight razor shave and like four all around. <laughs> and I'm like, I can do this. And I did it, and the guy like, holy shit, you do know what you're doing. So I went to work at a little, little tiny little bullshit barbershop. It was just me and an old dude. We sat in and I just picked his brain. I got a whole different aspect of like them old school bars like that. They're just wise in everything they do and everything they say. I don't know. I don't understand the whole thing. When you're like 90 and you've been a barber for 99 years, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know shit, you know? Right. That's so cool. It, it's, it's so it's it's very cool to me that Rob kind of got him in. Well, yeah, in, barbering, yeah, well, right? in a way, because I kind of in that way, like it sparked my interest. It brought barbering back to the forefront for me. I mean, it's it was always started, there. Right. Yeah, it was always there. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just barber, okay, you're, you know, barber, whatever. But it brought it. Man, it was cool then to be you know, like. I think Rob and Lean at that point were just starting that. Not they didn't set out to start the whole thing, but that movement was starting over. The, it is cool to be a fucking barber. It is cool to be a barber. Yeah. You know? You know? That's really cool. It's it's interesting to me, too. Like, in the Rusal team, you have Curtis, you have Cheeseburger. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> Anyone named Cheeseburger. Got you stash have, and the you, cheese. You got the stash and the cheese, and you got cheese in the stash. <laughs> so, yes. so you you got you guys, you got Rob, and you got Lane, and all you guys have a TG background. Everyone was, um, Rob's a bit ass, I assume. Oh, was Rob? I yeah, thought he Rob's, was TG. Rob, well, was, Cheeseburger's. Tony and guy. I'm Tony and guy. Right. And uh, was Lane? Rob, uh, I'm not sure about Lane. I think he was with us as soon as well. Uh-huh. But I know Rob's and, and Trevor Sorbet. Right. Jeez, oh. He loves Trevor Sorbet. <laughs> we all, we love, all, Trevor all love Trevor Sorbet. Who doesn't love Trevor Sorbet? <laughs> exactly. If not, learn your history. Yes. You know? Um, so and I followed him on Facebook for a little while. And Facebook had just started. So I'd actually got my first Facebook account when I moved to China. Because when I moved to China, MySpace was like shit. Right. Well, when I moved to China, they blocked MySpace. You know, and they no were like, space for you? yeah, and they were redacting YouTube. So they were like, you go on YouTube, you like shit blacked out. Because <laughs> they were so, the, most of them, like where I was in China at the school, they had like one central, and then they served the internet up to everybody from them. So they had full control over the whole system. So if they didn't want you to see it, you didn't see it. It's a communist country. So, right. So what, so, so you went pretty much right. I mean, you've only kind of worked for Rusal since you started your. So, well, year. at the they were not Rusal at that point. It was right. still Scorum at that time. Like the point, it was just making that cross. Like the products were just starting to happen, right. and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And then I heard they were coming to the U.S. You're like, "What? What? 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna go see these motherfuckers." So I went to L.A. saw them. Like just saw like their sideshow thing that they yeah, were yeah well, they were there was the first time they come to the states they did uh, it was I think it was Tequila Sunrise mm-hmm. like the tour thing or whatever they called it and it was somewhere in California I don't remember now I've been so many damn places and I went didn't talk to them didn't you know just watched them on stage was fucking amazed at Rob that right. he can be so fucking crazy and still get everything out you need to say <laughs> it's great and then some I don't get it and. I went back to my hotel that night. I don't remember. I seen something on Facebook. They were going, like, somewhere the next day. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I got nothing to do tomorrow. 
<laughs> so I went to the next place. You followed them around like the dead. Well, the first two, and then the next, the next stop was Denver, Colorado, on four twenty. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> Back to that, are we? Yes. <laughs> Back to the four twenty thing. And I talked to Lawrence at that show. And Lawrence said, you know, we might have an education team come up. I know you're really big in, you know, education. You work for Pivot Point and all that. He said, I'd love to have you on board. Right. Um, but it's we, we're not there yet. I'm like, all right, cool. Just let me know. <laughs> that was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but they did get to that point, And I had actually already started kind of working with Robin Lean a little bit before I was actually a scum bastard. Because mm-hmm. the, the shop I was working at the time, Part of being an educator, a lot of people know this too, is that when you work for a, in particular brand, wherever the shop that you work, you need to carry that brand, sure. all that good stuff. Well, the guy wasn't willing to bring on any product. Any product. It was an 89-year-old man. He doesn't. The only product he had Got in it. the whole place was baby powder. <laughs> that was the only, and he didn't even, he'd give it to you. He wouldn't even retail it to you. And I think it was like 100 years old sitting on the shelf. Right. right. So he didn't get the it, whole Was it retail. the green bottle? Yeah. The green, the, green <laughs> the old Asajj rub or whatever right. it was called back in the day. That shit smells good, though. Oh, come <laughs> on. Don't that face, man. I'm the only one. Yes. I'm the only one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. So he wouldn't do the whole retail thing, so I couldn't commit to being an educator with, with them at the time because, you know, it's technicality. I got into a situation where I went and talked to a lady. She was willing to bring me on, but I told her part of the dealer bringing me on, she had to bring Rosal along with them. And that just kind of was setting me up to, you know. For your Yeah, trying to do what I want to do. Or I didn't even know what I wanted to do at that time. I was hanging out. It was fun. It was cool. Right. Smoke, you know, streets, dudes talking. (laughs) You know, like, it wasn't, there's certain parts of this industry for me being that, you know, like, it's a little stuffy, like the whole corporate side of hate. Right. You know, sales side, I don't get it. The whole money thing. Like, you know, there's certain parts of this industry is like, Never really dealt with it before, you know. So I was like, "All right, I'll wait. We'll do this. <laughs> Nothing but a thing." So I waited a couple more, a little while, and then Lawrence sent me a message or something. He goes, "We're got to submit a video. Got to do a five-minute video. Don't make it look like a music video, and send it in by a certain date." I'm like, "All right." Well, I literally like went down to the wire on that one. I made the video, like, on Thursday. It was due, like, Friday morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the video in, and I get a little email, like, a month or so later that I got accepted and was going off to Chicago for my training. Whoa. So, Who did the training? Uh, Robin Lean. Well, Robin Lean did, like, the first day of the training, and then it was George and Becca. Got it. The rest of it. And I got on the scumbastard thing, but then... I, the job that I now do at Ruzel, I did at Tony and Guy. Well, tell, 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 just so tell us what you do I'm at Ruzel. I'm model event coordinator. So anytime Robin Lean or our scumbassers, our scumbassers or our educators, is what we call them. Anytime we come to a show like Premier Freely here, I organize all the models mm-hmm. that the, they're going to use on stage. So that's all the prior work that's done. The behind-the-scenes guy right, that you right, don't right. see. Everybody gets to see these beautiful models walking down. Well, where did she come from? Right. You know, that's what I do. I get out and slump and find them people. So if you know, if Rules was coming to your town and you want a badass haircut, you got to get in touch with her. <laughs> yes. Right? I would prefer you to, yes. I would very much so. And I can guarantee to make that happen if you got a great head of hair. There you go. 
<laughs> I'm no good to him. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. But you got a great beard, though, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. I appreciate that. Dude, that's... That, what a very, very cool story. What a ride. Sometimes, you know, right? yeah, oh, dude, sometimes I think, like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Sometimes I'm like, why am I not dead at this point? You know, right. That means you've lived a good life if you're saying, why am I not dead? Yeah, well... The first couple of years with Ruzel was a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. You know, again, Curtis has been awesome to us. He's introduced us to so many, so many uh, barbers, oh, thanks, and, and we. Uh, well, I, I count y'all as my friends. So, uh, well, we count you as I, a friend as I, well. I, yeah. friend. I fucking enjoy listening, to y'all. It's my day off, and I'm fucking listening to the hair industry. I've done that since the day I found out about it. Every freaking Monday, I listen to the podcast. I'm cleaning my house, washing clothes. And I'm listening to the podcast. That's what I do on Mondays. Bro, you no should see the what. smile on my face. Right? That, 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 <laughs> That's that what I so do. Cool, I enjoy man. it. I, appreciate you know, it bro. I get to hear other, you know, other sides of people's stories and stuff. Right. I think that the whole era we're in now with this whole audio thing, I think it's really cool. So, and it's something I don't have to sit. And do you know like I can right. do other shit and listen to you? But that's you the know, amazing right. thing about podcasts. I mean, not just our podcast, but any yeah, podcast. Yeah. It's such it's so passive listening. Yeah, you know, and and for me, like I'm a I'm a sponge for information. Right. So it's such an easy way to get information while I'm you know cutting the grass right. or why I'm doing. And I'm a multitasker. I'll do a hundred things at once. So uh-huh. at a hundred miles yeah, an hour. At a hundred <laughs> miles an hour the whole time. So that's awesome. Mr. Curtis Lawrence. Curtis Lawrence. He's always been Curtis the Stash to me. So that, that, yeah. <laughs> that I don't a, think a lot of people don't really know my last name. So. Yeah. I know because it's about four minutes ago. Before the podcast started, Katie's like, "What's his last name?" I said, "Fuck, I don't know." Stash. <laughs> Stash. 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 <laughs> <laughs> What's his middle name? Yeah. The. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis the Stash. Right. Well, there's been. I, oh, TikTok. When I opened a TikTok account, I did that. I put my first name and then. The Stash? The is my middle name, and then Stash is my last name, so it would come out as Curtis the Stash. Curtis, I love it. Stash, right. Curtis the. Curtis the. <laughs> That's right. awesome. Mr. Curtis, once again, I, thank you for the friendship over the uh, over the year. Thank my you pleasure, for, uh, for, for, for for spending the uh, this hour with us, and thanks for telling your story. Thanks for being brave enough to tell your story, because I know it's tough, and you said you hadn't told it yeah, much. I'm, I, I hadn't. There's, you know, very few in the, for, you know, it's embarrassing in a way. I mean, yeah, sure. I went to jail, whatever, but. For a long time, like, you have that stigma on you about, you know, oh, well, I'm, that's the reason why I, I went to jail for weed. Right. <laughs> Dude, so, that's so because silly. I now have a prison record. I'm a rapist, a murderer, you know, like, just because I went to prison. But you don't know what I went to prison for unless right. I tell you what I went to prison for. Right. Now you have all those friends that are those things. So now... When you start walking up these convention centers and people walking on the other side of the hallway. <laughs> yeah, this podcast might get me in a little trouble. <laughs> Look, he came on and did a podcast, and now he'll never have a job again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you can't lie anymore, sir. Yeah, well, Kevin, uh, if you're listening, I'm coming to London. <laughs> <laughs> he better listen. Right. Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. Well, he's changing Theo's diaper. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Curtis Lawrence, the stash, Curtis the stash, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. 
<laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs> 